everyone. Welcome to the Rothko Chapel. We have a couple more seats over here. Don't be shy. We're all, we're all here together to enjoy this meditation today. We have some other seats over here if you want to have a seat. We also have uh, meditation cushions uh, that our volunteers and hosts can pull out if anyone wants to have a seat on a cushion today. Um, you can let uh, Gail or Nadelka know and they can help you out. Uh, but welcome to the chapel today. My name is Kelly Johnson. I'm the volunteer and program coordinator here at the chapel. Uh, and uh, today we're delighted to have you here for our uh, meditation, prayers, and music in the Baha'i tradition. So this is a part of our series, uh, 12 Moments, Experiencing Spirituality and Faith Traditions, where we feature a different faith tradition or meditation style um, on the first Wednesday of every month at noon. Um, it's also a part of our Healing After Harvey series, which we've been holding a meditation or community gathering every Wednesday uh, since the storm, and we'll continue to do so through the end of October. So uh, join us back uh, next week. We'll have a labyrinth walk um, outside on the plaza. We have a labyrinth in our turf. Um, and a Houston Labyrinth expert and Rothko Chapel volunteer, Jay Staley, will be here to lead us through that. Um, so before you begin, uh, we'd just like to remind you to silence your cell phones. Uh, we are going to be audio recording and uh, taking photos of today's experience, and we'll post those online afterwards. So you can always uh, go back and, wa and listen uh, or look at pictures and share them uh, with those who couldn't make it today. Um, but we're very happy to have with us here today um, Abbas Mavash and uh, Luke Slot um, to lead us in meditation. Abbas is a native Houstonian whose work in law and international development has allowed him to participate in Baha'i communities across North America, Europe, and Africa. He spent recent years volunteering in the Baha'i Administrative and Spiritual Center in Haifa, Israel, and is involved in the Baha'i community of Houston here in town. And Luke Slot is a composer and singer-songwriter from Ireland. So he's been on tour recently. Um, and uh, he's released five CDs of both vocal and instrumental music and has toured extensively as a solo artist, giving concerts and music workshops in over 20 countries. At the age of 21, Luke embraced the Baha'i faith and began incorporating the Baha'i sacred writings into his music. In honor of the Baha'i community's 2017 celebration of the 200th anniversary of the birth of Baha'u'llah, uh, the founder of uh, the Baha'i faith, uh, Luke has re released a new album, entitled Year of the Nightingale. He's spending 2017 on tour in various parts of the world, including here in Houston, where his last stop on his tour. Uh, and he's giving special concerts about the history of the Baha'i faith and the inspiration behind his music. So thank you guys for being here with us today and enjoy the meditation. Welcome everyone. My name is Abbas Mafash, and I, I wanted to start with a, I want to thank Rothko Chapel for everything. Kelly and Caitlin and everyone else has helped set this up. This is really special for us. Um, but I do have one little confession to make, that despite Rothko Chapel probably being the most uh, iconic place of religious unity in, in the city of Houston, as a native Houstonian, after 35 years, this is my first time, I think, to step into this <laughs> chapel, which is really bad. I feel guilty, and it's long overdue, but uh, the serenity is exactly as, uh, as I had always heard, so it's nice to be here. Um, on my right is another first-timer, although he came from a, a slightly longer distance, all the way from Dublin, Ireland. Um, but it's also nice to have 
to Luke's lot with us today. He's a wonderful man and a wonderful musician, which you'll get to hear hopefully a few times today. Um, and we're really lucky to have him. Now, I think the most, if you know that we're supposed to talk a little, Luke and I are supposed to speak a little about the uh, Baha'i perspective on meditation. And I think the most important thing to know about, uh, about Luke and, and me is that there's nothing really important about Luke and me. We are not authority figures in the Baha'i faith. And the Baha'i faith actually doesn't have any kind of clergy or anyone who can tell you in an authoritative way of this is the way you should be meditating and this is what meditation is and, and isn't. So none of us have this kind of power. Um, so please take what we say with a grain of salt um, and hopefully it can be useful. But we also hope that you too can, can share some of your insights. Um, we're going to try to make this a little interactive um, and hear from you and see what your thoughts are about some of the prayer, the, the readings and things that we discuss. And this is pretty fundamental to the Baha'i faith. The, the Baha'i faith really deeply believes in the independent investigation of the truth, which for us means that you don't blindly follow what your mother and father did, or you don't blindly follow what those charismatic speakers of the Rothko Chapel said to you, that you have to pray on your own, and you have to reflect deeply, you have to meditate, and you have to try to use your rational faculties, your reason, to come to the best decision you possibly can. And so for Baha'is, this, this is really important. At the same time, Baha'is don't necessarily believe that you can do it all on your own, that you can just figure everything out. We also do feel like it's important to consult with other people with differing opinions. And it's really important for Baha'is to humbly, as devoid of ego as possible, as detached a fashion as possible, try to share ideas with people who have different perspectives so that you can come to the best understanding possible. So we're going to try to embody these two principles, this idea of independent investigation and consultation in the way we carry out this kind of meditation today. For those of you who don't know much about the Baha'i faith, I'm going to keep it brief because some of you probably do know, but the Baha'i faith is a relatively new religion. 2017 is actually the 200th anniversary of the birth of our prophet founder, Baha'u'llah, whose title means the glory of God. And that's actually why we have Luke with us today, is that we were really lucky that coincidentally he was passing through the south all the way from Dublin, Ireland, in honor of this bicentenary that's in a few weeks. So in anticipation of it, he's traveling around the United States and, and giving some, some performances on the history and teachings of the Baha'i faith mixed in with his music. Now, the Baha'i teachings are also pretty vast, so it's hard to sum up in just a short time, but I, I'm going to try to capture it as well as I can. I think if you try to embody the essence of the teachings in one word, the big word that often comes up is unity. And that's pretty important for Baha'is. And if you would break that down into maybe three different areas, I think one of the areas that you would say is the unity of God is really important for Baha'is. That we believe that there is only one God, one divinity, whether you call it Allah or the Great Spirit or Yahweh, and whether you conceive of that God as being a man with a beard in the sky or in a more panentheistic fashion like maybe Hindus might often do, that we are all fundamentally turning towards the same creator, the same source, whatever that may be. Now, as a natural, logical next step after the unity of God, Baha'is believe in the unity of religion, that all of the major world religions come from that same one God, that they, they bring the same essential teachings of love, of justice, um, of doing unto others as you would have them do unto you, and that although 
they, they bring these same fundamental teachings over and over, there are, Baha'is acknowledge there are some differences. They're not always identical. And for Baha'is, the way we believe that is that religion is really one unfolding revelation of God. And this is one thing that has to adapt to the time in which the religion is revealed. That people 4,000 years ago didn't necessarily have the capacity to understand and embody the spiritual teachings that we can understand and embody today. Because we are different people than we were even 100 years ago, even 50 years ago. So this is something that we think religion is constantly evolving based on the capacity of humankind. And you can see that if you think about stoning to death was a form of justice in the Old Testament, which probably nowadays we wouldn't necessarily think that's the best form of justice in, in our society. Or not eating pork or shellfish are things that, uh, that were forbidden because you know, it was also at a time when there was no sanitation, there was no refrigeration. It was a really great way of being clean and being healthy. But nowadays, some of those teachings have to, uh, Baha'is believe, evolve over time. And the analogy Baha'is often use is, you don't necessarily teach calculus to someone who is in first grade. Um, you teach them arithmetic first. You teach addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. And it doesn't mean that the addition was wrong. It was absolutely right, and it was absolutely important. But there is added complexity and layers of complexity that come over time as the, as the student can understand more. And there's added nuances that come as the student can understand more. And society's needs also evolve. And that's how we kind of look at religion. Now, the third corollary, the corollary to the unity of God and the unity of religion for Baha'is is the unity of mankind. And we believe we are all created from the same dust, from that same creator, and that it's really imperative for people to try to eliminate all forms of prejudice that they possibly can. And that, whether that's religious, ethnic, national, racial, gender-based, or otherwise, that it's really important to help realize this concept of unity of mankind, this, this, these three unities, and bring them into practice. Now, for Baha'is, then, what's the connection kind of with those teachings and devotion? What, why is this so important to us today, this idea of prayer and meditation? And to me, I think it's something that devotion is, is something that, that really helps bring that unity into fruition through devotion. And, and you see that in all the religious traditions. There is some kind of prayer or meditation. There's some significance to it because it definitely has done something throughout history. So I feel like if you, if you think about the fact that it is really important, we, we think about prayer as being kind of one form of, of devote, devoting ourselves to God. Meditation is kind of a different one. I'm going to use them a little interchangeably, but they, and they have distinct roles. Prayer is more like calling upon God and asking for assistance often. And meditation is more about listening to God and listening to ourselves and, and coming to the best solution. But they, they really go hand in hand. And they, they, they also lead us to that same kind of fundamental purpose, goal, which is to conform ourselves to the divine will, do what's right all the time, and make sure that we respond well to whatever our circumstances are. So for Baha'is, we do have this kind of traditional conception of devotion. Um, this, as I will call it kind of today, inward prayer, that we pray, we meditate, we do things to change our thoughts and our minds. But Baha'is also have kind of a little twist on it in that we have a more outward form of prayer that we think is really just as essential, that just how you change your thought and your mind by praying, we also think that your thought, that your actions need to be um, expressions of this prayer. You need to be serving humankind as much as you can. And so for Baha'is, actually, we say that just like you can pray in a very sanctified space like this and help refine your heart and soul, you also can go and pray in your office or in your mail route or on your 
uh, in the courtroom when you're arguing with a judge. Those, if you're doing it in the spirit of service, where you're trying to really impact society in a positive way, that is considered, that work, that form of service, is considered tantamount to worship. It's tantamount to devotion to God. And I think this kind of dualistic concept is kind of an important one because it's pretty, it's pretty topical nowadays. Um, I, I was thinking very much in, in light of Harvey. We have a lot of devastation in, in the world today. And you might have, I mean, we had, unfortunately, just a couple days ago, we had Las Vegas and Mandalay Bay. Last week, we had Puerto Rico, which is still an issue. Not long before that, we had Harvey here in Houston. There's a lot of, there are a lot of challenges. And you hear different responses to these challenges. One of the responses you hear, there's a camp that often says that my thoughts and prayers go out to those people in Houston in need. And it comes from a good spot. And people are really wishing the best they can upon these, for, for, for us in Houston who are in need. But then you have another camp that says, that gets really angry when they hear that our thoughts and prayers are going out to them. They say, we don't want your thoughts and prayers. We want your money to help rebuild our buildings, or we want your sweat equity to come and, ch and, and, and clean out our houses that have been flooded. And these two camps are kind of at odds often in society nowadays with all these challenges, and I don't think they really have to be. I think as a Baha'i, they, really, they should really be inextricably intertwined. They are both really important, and they both enhance each other. Now, an example of this, I think, would say, as a native Houstonian, I think anyone who's lived in Houston for a little while could say, um, if, you, if you can imagine yourself staying in your room for a week and praying to be patient, and that's your goal. You stay in your room and you pray every day to be patient. And then you go out and you drive on 610 in front of the Galleria at rush hour at 5.30 on a Friday. Do you think you will necessarily be equipped to be patient? Maybe. There's, there's a chance you might be. But I think it's also very likely that you know, you'll have some challenges there. And I can guarantee you that if you actually drive on that freeway every day and make an effort to be more patient when you're driving on that freeway, it'll enhance whatever skills you've gotten from your room when you're praying in your room for that full week. And vice versa. If you drive down the, in front of the gallery on 610 on Friday at, at 5.30, but you've never really tried to be patient, you, you might come out a worse person, worse for wear, with you know, more frustrated, more angry, more aggressive, less patient. And so that changing of our thoughts and minds really enhances our action when we go out, and, and vice versa. The action and the things we do when we drive around, when we make an effort in society, enhances the things that we've done when we're praying. The, say, the same could be said for Harvey um, and the devastation that we have today, or any, any kind of challenges we have. If, if you stay in your room all the time and pray for people, I do think that's useful, and I do think it's a really special thing, but I can understand when people say they don't think it's enough, that maybe that's not the best way of serving. At the same time, if you have someone who goes to Houston, rebuilds some buildings and, and builds them up as quick as they can and makes a quick buck and exploits whoever is in need, that it contributes to development. It's not a horrible thing, but it's probably not the best way either. But if you bring this form of prayer, both inward and outward together, where we are changing our hearts and at the same time changing society, it's like light upon light or good upon good. And that's really, they enhance each other. And that's really kind of the, I think, the theme that we should have for today. So, keeping that in mind, we're going to kind of actually proceed to the meditative, uh, more meditative portion, but that was kind of just kind of a, an, an ex, a, a quick summary of Baha'i teachings and, and, uh, on meditation and maybe how we can think about some of these quotes we'll read. 
Um, so we'll first start off with some prayers and in, with some melodious tones for, to kind of get us in the right spirit. And then we're going to actually read some different uh, writings from the Baha'i Faith on prayer and meditation and try to reflect on them. We'll let you pause and think about them. And then please share your ideas because that's really what we want. And uh, at the end, we're going to have the more maybe traditional form of, of meditation that you might think of, which is the, a more guided meditation in a, in a Buddhist metabhavana um, method um, that will help try to kind of cultivate loving kindness inside your heart that will kind of bridge that gap between inward prayer and what we're thinking and, and how we actually physically change and go and make a difference also in the society around us. So it's going to be kind of in these next couple steps that we'll see. Uh, and last, before we start with that, I did want to make a quick plug in, in case people have to leave um, early. The one thing that is, that is kind of special about having Luke here is in the next few days, if you do like his music, which I guarantee you will, and you do want to hear some more, he does give some performances on the history and teachings of Faith, and he'll have a few more in the Houston area. You're welcome to ask us about it afterward. And if you did want to come to any of the Baha'i activities, um, we do have regular ones, but we also have October 22nd, um, is the actual bicentenary that we were talking about. Um, and you're welcome to come to that. It's a public event in the Greenway Plaza area. And feel free to ask us about that afterward also. So um, I'll make that plug. And now, we'll, without further ado, we'll start with, with the actual meditation. Thank you very much, Abbas. Uh, and thank you to all at the Rothko Chapel for having us here today. It's a great privilege to be here. Um, thank you all for coming. Um, just as... Uh, as Abbas said, in the, in the Baha'i Faith, meditation and prayer really go hand in hand. And so I'd like to begin by singing a prayer, uh, the words of which come from the Baha'i writings. Uh, and this is a prayer for the heart. This is called, Create in Me a Pure Heart. glory reveal unto 
So we're going to read a few prayers and readings that are in, most of you hopefully have a copy of it. If not, hopefully you can listen and, and connect with it also. Oh my God, oh my God, unite the hearts of thy servants and reveal to them thy great purpose. May they follow thy commandments and abide in thy law. Help them, O oh God, in their endeavor and grant them strength to serve thee O oh God, leave them not to themselves, but guide their steps by the light of thy knowledge and cheer their hearts by thy love. Verily thou art their helper and their Lord. O oh God, refresh and gladden my spirit. Purify my heart. Illumine my powers. I lay all my affairs in thy hand. Thou art my guide and my refuge. I will no longer be sorrowful and grieved. I will be a happy and joyful being. O oh God, I will no longer be full of anxiety, nor will I let trouble harass me. I will not dwell on the unpleasant things of life. O oh God, thou art more friend to me than I am to myself. I dedicate myself to thee, O oh Lord. Um, for everyone who just heard those three prayers, it, we, can you hear me? Can you hear me? So, for those who've heard those, who just heard those three prayers, does that is that talk about prayer in a way that might be different than your typical conception of prayer? Do you have any thoughts about? Is that how you normally think about prayer? Is it different? Any feedback? 
Thank you. So if you couldn't hear, it was, she was talking about how the prayers for her felt like they embodied this idea of connectedness and, and how um, we, I think it's in particular you think about that second prayer, about how unite the hearts of all your servants together so they work towards that, that cause um, and clearing out your heart so that you can, you can carry out that, that, that path. Thank you. That's, that's, very, that's exactly what we're... So please, please keep kind of doing this. Luke's going to be reading through the quotes, and we do want any kind of thoughts that you have. Some of these might get a little more, maybe a little more uh, challenging. You might have a little more thoughts. So thank you very much. Okay. Are you having trouble hearing? I'll go a bit closer to the microphone. Okay. <laughs> um, so these are a few quotations from the Baha'i Writings. Uh, about the perspective on meditation and prayer. And Abbas, perhaps you can jump in if you'd like to ask any questions or if you'd like to put any questions to the group. There is nothing sweeter in the world of existence than prayer. The most blessed condition is the condition of prayer and supplication. In the highest prayer, men pray only for the love of God, not because they fear him or hell or hope for bounty or heaven. When a man falls in love with a human being, it is impossible for him to keep from mentioning the name of his beloved. we could take a little break after those two and think about what we just read in the context of what we were talking about, about how prayer is both about transforming our hearts and transforming society. And so what do you think um, it means for someone to really find it impossible to, impossible to name, mention the name of their beloved or to supplicate unto this, um, this, this, uh, this deity? What do you think that means for you when you read these two things? Feel free to read and think. So. Absolutely. And this, this second quote that talks about how men pray only for the love of God, not because they fear him or hell or hope for bounty or heaven. Just like when a man falls in love with a human being, it's impossible for him to keep from mentioning the name of his beloved. If you think about that. But a very healthy one, I think. So, thank you. I think, that's, I think it's also really special because we often think of it as just being like an epiphany. Like you just close your eyes and boom. Oh, I just, I just got this new revelation and that's it. And it's not. Sometimes it's, you, it's a concerted effort that you have to make. And it's something that you often have to renew. Maybe, you know, weekly. Maybe daily. Maybe hourly. Because you, you get that spirit that we were talking about that helps you maybe learn or, or respond to things around you. But sometimes that, that fades. And sometimes it's a, it's a struggle to also really get into that deep thought, that deep learning. So I think that's really nice. Can I ask a question? Yes. Thinking about um, the statement here of, what is it? It's impossible for a man to do two things at one time. He cannot both speak about listening 
like in the context of music, right? Like often in like, I practice yoga and Shavasana, there is a lot of musical underlay, um, which sometimes is distracting, but other times it's really supportive. So, I mean, I guess listening is an action, right? So how do you reconcile that? I have thoughts. Do you have thoughts? You, please, you please, you, please go ahead. Oh. Oh, yeah. I, I actually find listening to music very helpful in meditation. Um, I find music can actually take me to a, a certain place that's very conducive to meditation. Um, I guess I, I would still maintain silence right. while li of my own while listening to that music and meditating. Um, so perhaps, perhaps it, it's uh, referring to silence in oneself. Right. Um, I mean, actually, I think to, to be able to meditate even when there is activity or even uh, chaos going around you is a, is a great skill and a great, uh, uh, very mature uh, level of meditation to be able to meditate in yourself even when there isn't silence around you. Um, Anyone else have that, that? That sounds. Anyone else have thoughts about that? That's exactly how it is for me. I think too. At least for me, I agree. So maybe we can read the next one. The spirit of man is itself informed and strengthened during meditation. Through it. Affairs of which man knew nothing are unfolded before his view. Through it, he receives divine inspiration. Through it, he receives heavenly food. Meditation is the key for opening the doors of mysteries. In that state, man abstracts himself. In that state, man withdraws himself from all outside objects. In that subjective mood, he is immersed in the ocean of spiritual life and can unfold the secrets of things in themselves. To illustrate this, think of man as endowed with two kinds of sight, when the power of insight is being used, the outward power of vision does not see. This faculty of meditation frees man from the animal nature, discerns the reality of things, puts man in touch with God. This, this faculty brings forth from the invisible plane the sciences and arts. Through the meditative faculty, Inventions are made possible. Colossal undertakings are carried out. Through it, governments can run smoothly. Through this faculty, man enters into the very kingdom of God. We're going to read these last two because we only have about 15 minutes left. So we might read them and then we can do one quick discussion about all of them and then we might proceed to the, to the next part. The meditative faculty 
is akin to the mirror. If you put it before earthly objects, it will reflect them. Therefore, if the spirit of man is contemplating earthly subjects, he will be informed of these. But if you turn the mirror of your spirits heavenwards, the heavenly constellations and the rays of the sun of reality will be reflected in your hearts, and the virtues of the kingdom will be obtained. Therefore, let us keep this faculty rightly directed, turning it to the heavenly sun and not to earthly objects, so that we may discover the secrets of the kingdom and comprehend the allegories of the Bible and the mysteries of the spirit. May we indeed become mirrors reflecting the heavenly realities. And may we become so pure as to reflect the stars of heavenly realities. And may we become so pure as to reflect the stars of heaven. Strive that your actions day by day may be beautiful prayers. Turn towards God and seek always to do that which is right and noble. Enrich the poor, raise the fallen, comfort the sorrowful. Bring healing to the sick, reassure the fearful, rescue the oppressed. Bring hope to the hopeless, shelter the destitute. This is the work of a true Baha'i, and this is what is expected of him. If we strive to do all this, then are we true Baha'is. But if we neglect it, we are not followers of the light, and we have no right to the name. We don't have much time to do this, to talk about this, but did anyone have anything that they got out of this that they would like to share with the group? Or So uh, just to express that in case anybody didn't hear, um, the more that we connect with that greater, higher source, the more we're able to become a channel for that and express love to one another. And the light gets brighter. Yeah. It's kind of like if you polish that mirror of your heart over and over and over, 
the light that's reflecting off it gets brighter and brighter the more you're polishing it. We're going to try to proceed to this last portion, which Luke's going to guide us on. So that's actually uh, quite a good segue into this short guided meditation that we're going to do. In the Baha'i faith, there is no prescribed form of meditation, but based on this principle of the oneness of religion, we're really, the Baha'is are really encouraged to explore and uh, make use of any, any different forms of meditation that can enhance and cultivate our spiritual lives. So the, uh, the form of meditation that Abbas and I have chosen for today actually comes from the Buddhist tradition. So the reason that we chose this form of meditation uh, is because there is a, a concept in the Baha'i faith that God, the creator, whatever, whatever we call him, the essence of God is really un, uh, incomprehensible to the human mind. No matter how much we study or learn or how, how wise or intelligent we are, we will never really comprehend the true nature and essence of that great mystery which we call God. But what we can understand are the attributes of God, the qualities that, that have been associated with the divine uh, throughout the ages that all the religions of the world have... have um, attributed qualities to God, compassion, mercy, wisdom, love, justice, uh, generosity, um, fairness, honesty, um, consistency, majesty, power, might, all of these, these great spiritual attributes. And we see these attributes reflected in the universe in different ways. And Baha'u'llah teaches that the human being as a, as a reflection made in the image of God. You've probably noticed that in the Baha'i writings there's often uh, an analogy used of, of mirrors reflecting images. And Baha'u'llah taught that, as other religions have taught, that the human being is made in the image of God. And all these spiritual qualities are within us all, uh, ready to be developed and, and, and brought out in all of us. And one of those qualities, of course, is the quality of loving-kindness, which is really defined as a, a, a totally selfless form of love towards others. So this uh, Buddhist form of meditation is called metta-bhavana, which means the cultivation of loving-kindness. So as Abbas mentioned earlier, there is our, our inward devotion, uh, which, is our, uh, which is always related to our outward expressions of devotion. And so one way of cultivating this, this uh, loving-kindness is to simply practice it uh, in, in ourselves and later on express it in our lives. So this, uh, this uh, form of meditation called cultivation of loving-kindness is what we're going to practice just briefly for about five minutes. There are four exercises that we're going to do. Each one will last about one minute. And really the idea is that through meditating upon these attributes of God, meditating on love, on loving kindness, on patience, on generosity, through meditating on the attributes of God, we are in fact meditating on God and becoming nearer to him. So the first exercise what I'd like us to do is to, to uh, 
say to ourselves just privately in our hearts, we're going to cultivate loving kindness for our own selves. And we say, may I be well, may I be happy, may I progress, may I be free from suffering. So for the next 60 seconds, we're just going to have a moment of silence where we can each cultivate this loving kindness for our own selves. May I be well, may I be happy, may I progress, may I be free from suffering, may I be well, may I be happy, may I progress, may I be free from suffering. The next exercise is to think of somebody in your life who you already feel a great love and loving kindness for, someone who you feel genuine love for in your life, perhaps a friend, a family member, someone who's very dear to you. And just silently repeat, may you be well, may you be happy, may you progress. May you be free from suffering. May you be well. May you be happy. May you progress. May you be free from suffering. And the next exercise is to think of somebody towards whom you have neutral feelings. Perhaps it's a stranger that you pass on the street each morning, or someone you, you pass by at work, someone who serves you coffee each day. And we'll spend the next few sec seconds cultivating loving kindness for that person. Think of them and, and say to them, may you be well, 
May you be happy. May you progress. May you be free from suffering. And finally, the fourth exercise is to think of somebody in your life for whom you're experiencing negative feelings. It might be someone that you've had an argument with or someone that you just feel any kind of aversion towards, someone that you have difficulty loving. And say to them, may you be well, may you be happy. May you progress. May you be free from suffering. And as we finish this exercise, I'm going to gradually introduce a little bit of music to enhance this feeling of loving kindness and extend it to all humanity. Blessed is the spot and the house and the place and the city and the heart and the mountain and the refuge and the cave and the valley and the land and the sea and the island and the meadow where mention of God hath been made and his praise glorified 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 blessed is the spark city and the heart and the mountain and the refuge and the cave and the valley and the land and the sea and the island and the meadow where mention of God hath been Glorified, glorified, glorified.
Thank you very much, everyone, for participating in this meditative program. Um, we hope that you helps you, this maybe helped you strengthen your prayer muscle a little and that you leave a little more tranquil, if not more enlightened. And thank you so much for sharing with us and being part of this. <laughs>